1: Three of the Infected trilogy, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com/pandemic. Chapter thirty-eight. Husband and wife. Clarence grabbed Margaret's pistol to secure the weapon, but there was no need. Klimas' single round had blown the trigger clean off, snapped the guard into two jagged metal pieces. He grabbed his wife by the shoulders, righted her. Margaret, are you okay? A stupid thing to say. Her finger was gone. She was bleeding all over the landing. He heard voices, both in his headset and from the people around him. He heard Klimas urging Tim and Cooper up the stairs telling them to head to the eighth floor, heard feet hitting concrete. Margaret looked stunned. Blood spurted from her finger stump. Clarence holstered his weapon, knelt before her and grabbed her right wrist. Hold on, baby, this is going to hurt. He squeezed down on the stump. Direct pressure. He had to stop the bleeding. A man ran past behind him, then another. Margaret looked at him. No sense of pain in her eyes. Just a dull shock. Shock and hate. Otto, get out of the way! The voice of Commander Klimas. Clarence turned quickly, keeping his body in front of his wife. The SEAL commander had his weapon pointed slightly off to the right, so it wasn't aimed directly at Clarence's chest. Otto, get out of my way! Clarence held up his hands. Please don't do this. She couldn't be infected. It just wasn't possible. She was the mother of his child. Klimas stepped to his left, trying to find a shot. Clarence lunged right, cutting off any angle. Clarence didn't even see the rifle butt come up before it slammed into his chin. Not hard enough to do serious damage, but hard enough to knock him aside. The rifle butt snapped back to Klimas' shoulder, the barrel aimed at Margaret's face. Tim Feely screamed down from a half-flight up. No! We need her alive! Trust me on that! Clarence again put himself between Klimos and Margaret. The seal's lip curled up in frustration. He lowered the barrel. You better be right, Tim. Fuck! Let's move. Something big slammed into the stairwell door, hard enough to bend it inward. Klimos turned fired three shots through the metal door. He reached behind his back, then tossed two things onto the concrete landing next to Clarence. Look at her magazine, Klimas said. If there's only one round gone, that's the bullet she used to kill Bogdana. Then the decision is yours. We're going to the eighth floor where there's a way out. We're not waiting for you. Klimas sprinted up the steps. Clarence looked at what the seal had dropped. Two zip-strips, one grenade. He felt hands fumbling for his weapon. He turned instantly and did something he had never thought himself capable of doing. He hit Margaret. A short left to the jaw, snapping her head back. She let out a moan, sagged weakly. Bullets tore through the dented metal door, kicking up puff spots of concrete when they sparked off the cinderblock walls. Clarence's left hand grabbed the zip strips and grenade, shoved them into his pocket even as his right drew his Glock. The door rattled once from someone hitting it, then bounced open. He fired three times at the first movement. Bodies ducked away, leaving the door to automatically swing shut. Her weapon. Her magazine. Clarence grabbed the ruined pistol and shoved it into his empty thigh holster. He reached behind Margaret's back, lifted her, and tossed her over his shoulder even as his feet carried him up the concrete steps. His legs drove him to the next landing. Behind him, he heard the first four stairwell door slammed open, this time from something bigger than just a man. A roar, an inhuman sound that echoed through the enclosed stairwell. Clarence bounded up the stairs, taking them two and three at a time despite Margaret's extra weight. He heard footsteps behind him. Footsteps and a deep, giggling growl. Careful to keep Margaret on his shoulder, Clarence shoved his pistol into his webbing belt, then pulled the grenade Klimas had given him. He squeezed the handle, lifted the grenade to his mouth, bit down on the pin and twisted his head to yank it free. He tossed the grenade behind him, heard the handle flip away and bounce off the wall with a hollow, metallic ting. Four seconds. He kept driving upward, two steps at a time. Two seconds. He made it up a flight and a half before the bang rattled the stairwell, shaking the air and the concrete alike. Farther back, he heard a scream of pain, a scream just as inhuman as the roar had been. Push, push, push. Don't think about how your legs burn it. Don't you dare think about Margaret. Chest heaving, he reached the eighth floor. He heard yells from farther down the stairwell, but they weren't as close as before. He opened the door and carried Margaret into the hallway. He turned the first corner he saw, getting out of sight of the stairwell door. Chest heaving, he set Margaret down. The right side of her jaw was already swelling. Blood ribbons coated her hand. She blinked slowly, tried to sit up. He gently pushed her back to the floor, needing only a tiny amount of pressure to do so. Margot, hold on. Just hold on. He had to check her weapon. See if Klimas was right. Margaret clutched weakly at his forearm. Get off me! She looked at him with nothing but hate in her eyes. This isn't my wife. This isn't Margaret. Clarence drew her ruined pistol from his thigh holster, looked at it. She couldn't be infected. Couldn't be. He pushed the release and slid the magazine free. There wasn't time for it, but he couldn't help himself. He counted off the rounds. Eleven. The weapon held twelve. Just one round missing. Margaret pushed at him. Pushed hard. Get off me! Give me the gun, honey. They're coming to get us. Save the baby! The baby. Was she pregnant? Or was that another lie created to manipulate him? She had played him for a fool. He pocketed her magazine, then pulled out the zip strips. She saw them and started to scream. Not a scream of fear, but the guttural, throat-ripping sound of an enraged, trapped animal. Don't you tie me up, you needle-dick motherfucker! Get your fucking hands off me! Clarence grabbed her arms, flipped her onto her stomach, I'll cut off your balls and feed them to you, you stupid nigger! Let me go! Let me go! She squirmed, but she wasn't strong enough to fight him. He wrenched her wrists back. Her still-bleeding stump flicked blood across the hallway carpet. With one hand, Clarence held her wrists together. With his other, he looped the zip strip around them, then yanked it tight. I hate you fucking insects! We're going to kill you all! Kill you all! Clarence stood, lifted her and again threw her over his shoulder. His exhausted legs burned instantly. He ignored his body's complaints, thumbed the talk button. Climax, I'm on the eighth floor. Where the fuck are you? Chapter 39 A Way Out Clarence stumbled toward room 829. He recognized the two seals crouched by the door, Bosch and Ramirez. Inside, he saw the big one, Roth, using a combat knife to saw through the drywall. Farther in, Klimos was peeking through heavy curtains. Tim Feely and Cooper Mitchell sat in the middle of a king-sized bed, trying to stay out of the way. Two more seals stood near Klimas. Their name patches read Harrison and Katansky. Clarence smelled smoke, the fire from the first floor spreading. The room felt hot. Klimos turned. Saw Clarence and Margaret. His gun came up fast. Harrison and Katansky also brought up their rifles. Roth remained focused on the wall. Margaret kicked and thrashed. Please don't shoot me! I didn't do anything! Please! Her hatred and anger had vanished. Now she sounded like a normal woman, a terrified woman. There had to be a way to save her save the baby. Fili could do something. He could beat the infection. He just needed the right equipment and time to do the research. That was all. I've got her, Clarence said. She's my responsibility. Klimas took a step closer. You tied her up. You checked the magazine, didn't you? Clarence said nothing. Klimas nodded. She shot Bogdana. Put her down, Otto. Clarence knew that Margaret had to die. His brain told him that. But his heart shouted a different message. No, he said. You'll have to kill me first. Feely slid off the bed, his hands out in front of him, palms up. Everyone just take it easy, he said. Klimas, I told you we need her. Klimas didn't look away from his stare-down. Why? Because she's infected. She'll contract Cooper's hydras, the thing that kills the converted. Margaret stopped squirming. Clarence forgot about the gun. He looked at Tim. You want to use my wife as a weapon? Tim started to talk, but coughed instead. Clarence felt a sting in his eyes. He smelled burning wood, melting carpet. Odors filtering up from the fire below. Wisps of smoke curled near the ceiling. Tim thumped a fist against his chest, coughed again, then continued, (coughs) Otto, if you're right and she's not infected, then she's got nothing to worry about. He looked at her, spoke sweetly. Isn't that right, Margopolis? Clarence felt her shaking her head. Our baby, she said, her words choked with deep sobs. We don't know how it will affect the baby. Keep Cooper away from me, honey. Keep him away. Roth walked over, spoke to Klimas. Commander, it's ready. Klimos's eyes narrowed. He lowered his weapon. Otto, I'm getting Cooper and Tim out of here, he said if margaret moves funny i'm wasting her and if you do anything to stop me i'll waste you got it clarence nodded fair enough as
0: a podcast network our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you but we also sell merch and organizing that was made both possible and easy with shopify shopify.com slash
1: realm. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Klimas tilted his head toward the man-sized hole Roth had cut into the drywall. Through it, Clarence saw concrete. That's the exterior wall of the hotel, Klimas said. It abuts another building that's only a foot away. We're blowing through both and entering that building. Then we're descending to a tea shop that's on the ground floor at the corner of Pearson and Rush. I'm hoping the building is empty and we can make it down without much of a fight. From there, we're going to figure out a way through the enemy lines. Enemy lines? Clarence said. They're just a mob. You'll see soon enough, Klimas said. Everyone into the hall! Bosch and Ramirez were still at their posts, guarding the hallway in both directions. Smoke curled thickly at the ceiling. The place was going up fast. Roth pulled the door shut. He held a small detonator in his hand. Fire in the hole, he said, then pushed the button. It didn't sound like much of an explosion. More of a hump than a bang. Roth opened the door. A cloud of dust billowed out. Clarence looked in. The blast had punched clean through. He felt cold air pouring in, saw a brick wall beyond. First wall down, Roth said. Now to blast our way into the other building. Sixty seconds. He started placing small charges of C4. On his shoulder, Clarence felt Margaret start to shake. He turned, saw that Cooper Mitchell was standing right next to them. He was holding his exposed wrist near Margaret's bloody hand. On that wrist, a red spot, a small patch of sagging skin. It looked like he'd just popped a huge blister, but Clarence saw no fluid. Tiny motes of floating white hung in the air for a moment, then dissipated into nothingness. Cooper smiled wide. Enjoy that, lady. You enjoy the fuck out of it. He stepped away. Clarence set Margaret down on her own feet. With her hands still zip-stripped behind her back, she leaned against the wall. She shook violently. She stared at Cooper Mitchell her eyes wide with terror. Chapter 40 Hit the Lights Pollyus lay on a tile floor, mostly hidden behind the low brick wall of the dark tea shop's broken window. Outside in the cold, windy night, the few remaining lights lit up hundreds of converted running through the streets, yelling in victory, screaming in psychotic rage, sometimes shooting guns into the air. Most of the time they moved south, toward the park tower. But sometimes they seemed to get confused. They ran north on Rush, or west on Pearson. And when they did, their own kind shot them down. Thirty meters along either of those roads, a line of cars, trucks, and other debris ran from sidewalk to sidewalk, completely blocking any way through. Barrel fires burned in front of these bulwarks, blurring any sight of the forces that hid behind them. Paulius had to figure out how to cross those lines. The Gothic Archdiocese of Chicago was directly to the north, across Pearson. Paulius saw troops and guns lurking in the church's broken stained glass windows. He could lead his people into that building, search for an exit that would come out behind the converted street-blocking wall, but he had no idea how many enemy troops waited inside. Kitty Corner to the tea shop, across the intersection of Pearson and Rush, Was a 10-story brick building, but going for that would expose him to fire from the troops behind the bulwarks of both streets. Plus, there was no guarantee the place wasn't full of snipers just waiting for him to show his hand. And due west across Rush, a round skyscraper some 40 stories tall. Same problems as the other buildings. Every route seemed blocked, heavily defended. There had to be a way. He couldn't count on help from anyone else, because no one answered his calls. As far as he knew, all the rangers were dead. He'd lost most of his own men, just six out of 20 left, including himself. But if he could get Cooper Mitchell to safety, his SEALs would not have died in vain. The move from the park tower to the tea shop had bought a few minutes reprieve at best. The hotel was on fire, but if enemy troops were still in there, still searching, They'd soon find the hole Roth had blown through the wall. After that, Paulius had only minutes before the converted swarmed in. There was only one option. He had to punch an opening in one of the enemy lines. That opening wouldn't come cheap, and they had very little ammo left with which to make it. He turned and crawled across the cold floor, his fatigue scraping against broken glass. He moved behind the shop's main counter to join the others. Fili, Cooper-Mitchell, Bosch, Harrison, Katansky, and Ramirez. Clarence and Margaret were tucked into an alcove near the bathrooms, out of sight of the windows. Margaret had a gag in her mouth, which Clarence had put there on Polius's insistence. If she made any noise, she died. Clarence and Margaret both knew that. Feely good was the only reason Paulius had let Margaret live. If they could turn that murdering bitch into a weapon against her own kind, that held a certain poetic justice. Polyus waved his men close. Such brave soldiers, all that remained of SEAL Team 2. Clarence joined them, as did Tim and Cooper. We need to figure out a way past their lines, Polyus said. We're outgunned. They've got excellent coverage on our positions. As soon as we show our heads, they'll start firing and it won't last long. Ramirez tugged at his fatigues, drawing attention to them. How about we lose these? Try to look like the enemy. Get close enough to make something happen. They're killing anything that comes close, including their own, Paulius said. He looked at the surrounding faces. I need other ideas. Bosch shrugged. It sucks, but we're going to have to make a distraction. Shoot out the streetlights. We hit them up with grenades from here. Then me and another guy head west on Pearson, try to draw their fire. Few minutes later, Commander, you and the others take the package north on rush. A suicide mission, but D-Day was perfectly willing to do it. Too many of them for that, Polyus said. He looked at Roth. Any luck raising the Coronado? See if they have any ideas? Roth shook his head. Negative, Commander. Short-range communication still works, not that there's anyone answering. But we lost all long-range communication in the assault. I'm trying to get through on the MBITR, but I need to find a line of sight to a satellite. That's hard to do from in here. I might be able to reach the Coronado from the roof of this building. If I can, we could request air support. Tim raised a hand. MBITR? Satellite radio, Paulius said. And our air support is gone. We saw both of the Apaches destroyed. We can't risk bringing in the Coronado Seahawks, not when the converted might have more stingers. That means the only way out of here is on foot, so we can get Mitchell to a place the Seahawks can land safely. We need something to blow a hole in those lines. Ramirez shook his head. Too bad we can't just drop some big-ass bombs on them. Not just on the blockade, but on all those fuckers packed in nice and tight around here. We kill a shitload of them. A big-ass bomb. Pollyus had forgotten about the mission's last element of air support. The B-2 might still be up there, he said. If we can contact it, maybe it can drop a JDAM on the north line. Let us escape, then hammer all around the hotel. Bosch laughed, a sound of frustration. He shook his head. (laughs) A JDAM to break us out. I've seen one of those take the top off a fucking mountain. The B-2 crew would need pinpoint accuracy, Commander. If they're off target to the south by even a few hundred feet, it'll kill us. Bosch was right. A B-2 strike was risky, damn near suicidal. But they were out of options and almost out of time. Roth, you're on, Pollyus said. You and Ram head up to the roof. Try to reach the Coronado. Have them task the B-2 to strike a hundred meters north of our location. Roth let out a low whistle. Phew, in bomb speak, Commander, that's right on top of us. It is, and it's going to work. There might be enemy units on the roof of this building, so kill anything you see. Stay alive long enough to contact the Coronado. Wait, Clarence said. Paulius glared at the man. He was the last person he wanted to hear from right now. Clarence dug into his pocket. He pulled out a cell phone, held it up like a kid at show and tell. This gives me a direct line to DST Director Murray Longworth. I'm pretty sure he's at the White House, sitting in the Situation Room with the Joint Chiefs. Pollyus stared at the bulky phone, then started laughing. The guy who refused to see reality had a direct line to the Joint Chiefs, like this night needed to get any stranger. (laughs) Well then, Agent Otto, Pollyus said, why don't you just go ahead and give the White House a call? CHAPTER 41 REACH OUT AND TOUCH SOMEONE Murray Longworth watched the world burn. The Park Tower mission had ended in disaster. SEAL Team 2 and the Ranger Company wiped out, Clarence, Margaret, and Feely undoubtedly dead. And if all those people were gone, then Cooper Mitchell was gone as well. Vogel hadn't found any other survivors of the hack trial, Mitchell had been the last hope of cultivating hydras. The Situation Room's main monitor showed the next step in mankind's downward spiral. Nuclear first strike options against China. Porter wanted to launch. Albertson wasn't putting up much resistance. No hydras. Nuclear war about to erupt. Murray realized it was all over. The converted had won. He jumped a little when his cell phone buzzed. That was the one on his inside left pocket the direct line to Clarence Otto. He answered. Otto? Yes, sir, Director. We've got Cooper Mitchell. He's alive. Murray felt a slight pain in his chest. How the fuck did you get out of there? I saw Predator footage. They were all over you. Never mind that. We have Cooper, and we can still get him out of the city. To do that, we need to call in an airstrike from the B-2. We need it right now. Can you make that happen? You bet your ass I can. Hold on. He lowered the phone. Porter, put those nukes back in your pants for a minute. We've still got a chance. Chapter 42 Anticipation Cooper Mitchell knew he was going to die. No way this would work. But it wasn't like he had a choice. And maybe he'd get to see some of those bastards die before he found out if there was an afterlife. The SEALs all crouched down low behind the tea shop's counter, waiting for the boom. It's going to be a powerful explosion, Klimas said. It'll probably knock us silly for a bit, but you have to get up fast and be ready to go. Klimas was pretty badass. Cooper knew that all SEALs were badass, but this guy didn't seem phased that his unit had been hacked to pieces and, probably, eaten. We go straight through their lines and we stay together. Klimas said, ''If you get separated, the rally point is First St. Paul's Lutheran Church at LaSalle Boulevard and Goethe, seven blocks north. Everyone clear?'' Cooper saw the seals take cover behind anything solid that stood between them and the impending bomb. Feely was trembling. Dude looked scared as hell. Cooper was scared too, had been for days, but better a bomb or a bullet than a barbecue they ain't gonna eat me, Sophia." Klimas looked at Cooper and at Feely. "'You two boys stay with me,' the seal said. "'Visibility is going to be shit. Whatever it takes, do not fall behind. This is our one chance. Don't fuck it up.' Nine faces looked upward simultaneously, ears all responding to the same thing, a faint whistling sound, rapidly growing in intensity. "'Incoming,' Klimas said. He tucked into a fetal position, laced his fingers behind his head, and pressed his arms tightly against his ears. Cooper did the same. Chapter 43 Into the Breach Tim Feely's world shook. It roared. Glass and brick flew into the tea shop, smashing into shelves and tearing the walls to pieces. Big chunks of masonry pounded into the counter, cracking wood and splintering tile. Dust and smoke drove into his lungs. He coughed, screamed for help, only to realize his voice sounded impossibly small and far away. He blinked, tried to see through the swirling haze. A hand grabbed his collar. Get your ass up, feely! Move! Klimas. His voice sounded distant, but it was a beacon. Tim heard Klimas screaming at Cooper. Something collapsed from the ceiling and crashed into the floor. Tim stumbled toward the shattered window, They had to go north. They didn't have long. Move! 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 Out the window! Tim stepped over the low sill and onto the sidewalk, out of the tea shop, and into an apocalypse. The winter wind swirled up clouds of thick dust, cutting visibility to just a few feet. He heard things crashing, things falling, pieces of building crumbling and dropping to the street below. Gunfire. He stooped, tried to get low. His hands found a car, No, part of a car. He started to kneel down behind it when that iron-grip hand grabbed him again. Up! Klimas said. Stay behind me! Another seal fell in next to Klimas. Tim didn't know which one. They moved. He followed. They ran half-crouched, rifles at their shoulders, turning left and right to fire while never breaking stride. Tim saw a man on his right, Cooper Mitchell. Something exploded off to the left, kicking up a fresh wave of dust and dirt. Tim shielded his face and kept moving. People screaming, guns firing, the snap of small explosions. He looked forward, saw Klimas' back, but the other seal wasn't there anymore. Klimas stopped at a red Prius that seemed to be embedded in some kind of cracked, fluid-looking masonry. He waved Tim forward. We're going over the top, let's move! Tim realized the car was part of a wall, a good six feet high, that stretched out both left and right. He threw himself at it, hands grabbing at anything he could grip. Broken glass and metal shards sliced into his skin, but he didn't stop. Up and up he went until he reached the top. He heard an automatic weapon firing, then the blast of a shotgun. He slipped and fell, tumbled down the hard wall's far side. Something whacked his left calf, knocking it cold and numb. Clarence ran by, Margaret bouncing on his shoulder like a gagged rag doll. Keep going, feely, move! Clarence vanished into the swirling dust. Tim's chest drew in panicked breaths of dirty, icy air. He felt a knife in his lungs, cutting and tearing. He was going to throw up. Whatever it takes, do not fall behind. Klimas, he'd promised to get Tim out of there. Tim righted himself, got his feet beneath him and started running then slowed. Cooper. None of it mattered without Cooper. Tim turned back, saw Cooper land face-first on the rubble-strewn pavement. And behind him, a stumbling man with half his face torn away, dust-caked blood sloughing down the white of his exposed temple and cheekbone, a big-toothed forever smile where his lips no longer were. He held a red axe. Cooper. None of it mattered without Cooper. Tim ran toward them, or tried to, but his leg wouldn't respond, so he hopped instead. On the ground, he spotted a head-sized shard of concrete. Tim bent, grabbed, lifted, hopped. The man limped toward Cooper, one shredded foot dragging along for the ride. He raised the axe into the air, gurgled a wet battle cry, and arched his back to bring the blade down hard. Tim got there first. He didn't recognize the sound that came out of his own mouth. He'd never made a noise like that, not once in his entire existence. With both arms, he shoved the jagged concrete forward, drove a rough point into the good side of the man's ruined face. The hard concrete crunched through tooth and bone, rocked the man's head back, dropped him like he'd been hit by a heavyweight hook. The axe clattered to the slush-streaked pavement. "Cooper, get the fuck up!" Cooper crawled forward on raw hands and torn knees, the jeans on his right thigh wet with dust-coated blood. The half-faced man sat up. He reached for the axe. Cooper, none of it mattered without Cooper. Tim Feely stepped forward, the pain in his leg forgotten. He put one foot on the axe, raised the chunk of concrete into the air. The man looked up. Maybe he smiled. But now both sides of his mouth were destroyed, so who could tell? Tim brought the concrete down like a misshaped hammer. The man's skull collapsed, folding in on itself in a sickening liquid crunch. The man didn't move. Tim leaned down, drew a deep breath, and screamed a long, unintelligible roar at his dead enemy. The intelligent part of his mind, the educated part, the civilized part, that part had checked out. Something primitive had taken its place. A hand on his neck, pulling him. Feely, come on! Klimas. Klimas had come back for him. The seal pulled Tim through the smoke, pushed him, did the same with Cooper, stopped and turned and fired, pushed and pulled them some more. Tim stumbled forward. He didn't know how long, he just kept moving. His ears rang. He had no strength left. He couldn't breathe. He felt dizzy. He kept moving until someone grabbed him, shoved him to the left. In there! That someone said. Tim shuffled through a door. So dark. The world spun, made it hard to walk. He was much closer to vomiting now. A strong hand on his arm. Someone dragging him along up a long flight of hard stairs. Dizziness. Nausea. Weakness. Right at the end, He realized those were the symptoms of blood loss. Tim Feely fell to the floor and blackness overtook him. You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment.
0: Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Seven ribs are completely fused, and you have no idea where this came from? No, she was sent here anonymously. mm not she. They, maybe? W- wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways.
1: My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories.
0: Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton?
1: By the tape. You'll see.
0: Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream
1: about it. How often? Every night.